0: Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info.
1: Welcome to another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. We today will continue to uh, take a look at how the Republicans are uh, getting across their messaging at the Republican National Convention. We saw the first night last night, and we'll talk about what happened and, uh, and then uh, give you a little preview of what to expect from the Republicans uh, tonight. Uh, As most of you know, we did the same thing last week. We covered the Democratic National Convention throughout the week. We tried to have a Republican on each show last week, and this week we'll have a Democrat uh, along with the Republicans who are on the panel um, uh, today. And we we have uh, one of our favorite political scientists as well, and I'll introduce the whole panel in just a minute. But I do want to start by uh, giving you some of the brief uh, reviews from last night's Republican National Convention, and I want to I want to talk just now about how conservatives responded last night. Um, Robbie Suave, who is a writer for the conservative publication Reason, wrote: "So far, the RNC seems to be mostly providing content designed to thrill MAGA devotees who already love Trump. I think that's a questionable strategy." David Brooks of the New York Times. This convention is targeted to one voter, Donald Trump. The whole convention is to make his lonely soul feel affirmed. But Jim Garrity of National Review wrote, Democrats should feel a little less confident about November right now, given the raw material of short snippets of speech, rally video footage, flyover ceremonies, the president hugging the disabled, et cetera. Talented editors can make Trump appear Reagan-esque. Um, All right, so those are just the conservative reviews that have come in since last night's convention. With that as a starting point, let's introduce our panel uh, for today. Um, Alan Abramowitz, uh, political science professor at Emory University, and one of the best-known modelers of elections uh, in the United States is with us. Alan, I'm especially glad you're here today because one of the things I'd love to talk with you about is a study that you co-authored, I think last year, called The Strengthening of Partisan Effect. And it strikes me that the what you wrote back then may be something worth talking about as we delve into how the Republicans this week, and for that matter, the Democrats last week got their messaging out. Is, is that a fair assumption, Alan?
2: Well, I think what we saw last night was uh, a series of speeches that were aimed primarily at appealing to Trump's base. Um, there wasn't a whole lot uh, there that I thought was aimed at trying to expand the base or trying to reach out to uh, undecided voters, let alone Biden supporters. So, but yeah, but I think that they're trying to excite their own base.
1: All right, we'll talk, we'll talk more about that, of course. Brian Robinson joins us today. Brian is a Republican strategist who uh, was communications director for Nathan Deal in his first term as governor of uh, Georgia, and uh, now does communications work across partisan lines and for some political uh, candidates, but also for other clients as well. Glad to have you with us, Brian. Thank you for joining us.
3: Thank you, Bill. And may I mention, since you brought up that I work for Governor Deal, that today is his yeah. 80th birthday, so if you know him, uh, no him kidding. Know that you wish him a happy birthday,
1: yeah. Well, happy birthday, Governor Deal. That's I'm glad you mentioned that. Thanks so much, Brian. Uh, Leo Smith mm-hmm. is with us. Leo Smith, also a longtime Georgia Republican. At one point, Leo, you, of course, uh, did outreach for the state Republican Party into the African-American community. You've moved on from that position, and now, Leo... You have created a whole new infrastructure, of business that uh, has become, I think, your passion in life. Tell us just a little bit about that.
4: Yes. Um, after leaving the party and to work with the party advocating for Republican principles, I started Engage Futures Group um, that it sort of advocates for conservative free market principles and uh, consulting uh, on engagement and public affairs.
1: Well, thank you for being uh, with us uh, today as well, Leo. Mary Margaret Oliver, uh, Decatur state representative, longtime Democrat, longtime member of the Georgia General Assembly in the Senate, now in the House. Uh, Mary Margaret, did you watch the convention last night? Or, like a lot of people who are sort of partisan, did you decide you, in this case, you as a Democrat, could not watch what the Republicans were doing?
0: I had to watch because I'm joining you this morning. I felt
1: like uh, it was my duty to watch.
0: And happy birthday to Governor Deal. He was my first juvenile court judge when I was a child lawyer in Hall County a few decades ago.
1: Oh, terrific. All right. Um, Let's do this. Uh, I want to start, if I may, uh, with um, a soundbite from President Trump. Republicans, of course— all weekend, were telling us that they saw the Democratic convention last week as one of darkness, doom, and gloom, and they promised a convention that was going to be about hope and uh, and and light and uh, would give people a future they could uh, look for with excitement and pride. This is how President Trump started that yesterday when he gave a 54-minute speech, much of it unscripted, right after he won the nomination at the roll call vote. Here's President Trump. more, more years!
5: more, more years! More, more years! Now, if you want to really drive him crazy, you say 12 more years!
4: Because
5: we caught them doing some really bad things. In 2016, let's see what happens. We caught them doing some really bad things. We have to be very careful because they're trying it again with this whole 80 million mail-in ballots that they're working on, uh, sending them out to people that didn't ask for them. They didn't ask, they just get them. And it's not fair and it's not right and it's not going to be possible to tabulate, in my opinion, it's just my opinion, We have to be very, very careful. And you have to watch. Every one of you, you have to watch. Because bad things happened last time with the spying on our campaign, and that goes to Biden and that goes to Obama. And we have to be very, very careful. We have to be very, very careful. And this time, they're trying to do it with the whole post office scam. They'll blame it on the post office. You could see them setting it up. Be very careful and watch it very carefully. Because we have to win. This is the most important election in the history of our country.
1: Brian, as Democrats met last week, uh, having read a lot of the polling which showed them that this election was a referendum on President Trump and his conduct in office as well as his policies in office, Republicans this week are countering by trying to make the case that Joe Biden and his so-called socialist policies are far worse. Uh, Matt Gaetz, the Republican from Florida, just a line from his speech. The Democrats would, quote, disarm you, empty the prisons, lock you in your home, invite MS-13 to live next door. Um, Donald Trump Jr. said uh, that this was a choice on the Republican side between church work and school and rioting, looting, and vandalism. And the 26-year-old leader of Turning Point USA for students, Charlie Kirk, said Trump is the, quote, bodyguard of Western civilization. There's a dog whistle there. But just in general, Brian, uh, they did make it clear last night they think they've got to define Joe Biden and take the emphasis off uh, uh, President Trump, this being an election that's a referendum on President Trump. How do you think that kind of rhetoric will play to a larger audience? Now, I think portraying this election as a choice
3: between uh, two starkly different options is the way to go here. I I actually, I I was shocked a little bit when I was watching last night when they would go to the panel on on CNN, and I, I was flipping back and forth. Fox News was talking over the speakers too much, so that's why I went to CNN, but when I would listen to the panel, what they were reacting to was a different convention than what I was watching. It, it was a dark vision of what America would be under a united Democratic front if we had Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, and Joe Biden all in office at the same time. And you know, we, there's a battle here for seven to eight percent of the electorate. That's really all that is up for grabs. Everyone else is. You know, going to align with their tribe no matter what. And so for that 78 percent, the Republicans are saying, uh, here is our vision of America. And I disagree with those who say that they didn't put forward a vision. They did. There was a, an emphasis on restoring and, and maintaining the American dream and individual liberties and fighting back against the cancel culture. And what the Democrats are offering. And yes, Joe Biden does have a more moderate record throughout his career. I think they tried to show that last week in the Democratic convention, in addition to the thematic that he's just a simply a nice guy. Uh, but the Republicans uh, put forward a, a positive vision and defined what the Democratic vision would be from their perspective. And even though Joe is a moderate, historically, he, the party has been captured by elements much further to the left.
1: All right Alan, before I want to get you and Mary Margaret in here, but, but when Matt Gates uh, Brian talks about a, a vision for what the future will be uh, under the Democrats. Uh, again, Matt Gates, Democrats would disarm you, empty the prisons, lock you in your home, invite MS-13 to live next door. That kind of hyperbole has nothing to do with the reality of what Democrats are all about in this election, Alan.
2: Well, cl- well, clearly uh, a lot of the messaging was over the top. Um, Matt Gaetz, uh, Donald Trump Jr. uh, You know, a number of the speakers uh, presented this apocalyptic vision of what the Democrats would do and what Joe Biden would do if he becomes president. The problem here, I think, is that, A, an election with an incumbent president running for a second term is inevitably primarily a referendum on the incumbent's record. And uh, no matter what you say or do about the opposition party is pretty hard to get away from that. Um, the second problem, of course, is that Joe Biden has been in public life for a long time and has a very long record. And he served as vice president for eight years under Barack Obama. So trying to convince people and ran very much as a moderate, of course. Uh, and if you look at the policies he's endorsed by the most part, they're, they're in the sort of center left tradition of the. Democratic Party. Yes, the Democratic Party has moved somewhat to the left, but uh, I would argue that the Republican Party has moved much, much farther to the right, and that has certainly continued under uh, Donald Trump. So um, I think it's a tough sell. And um, again, I would reiterate that I think think the messaging last night was aimed primarily at appealing to those who already support the president. I didn't see much there uh, in the way of policies aimed at Future that would appeal to uh, voters beyond the the existing Trump base, which is not enough, you know, to win to win the election. It certainly doesn't appear that way.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, Mary Margaret, it was the first night. There, there is a theory that on that first night, it's perfectly appropriate to try to lock down your base, make sure your base understands that you're speaking to them, and then broaden the message as the week goes on. We will wait to see if that happens. Uh, This week in the Republican convention, but your thoughts about all this.
0: Donald Trump's unfortunate election in 2016 was uh, based on fear and doom and uh, Mexicans being sent up here to commit crimes. Uh, Last night saying that MSN is going to move next door in Druid Hills, Brookhaven or Decatur, is simply a continuation of that successful theme that he believes is going to get him reelected. There is nothing new. There is nothing hopeful. There is nothing in the light about Donald Trump's activities uh, in his daily life, in his life as president, or uh, in this convention that shows anything other than Um, A person who is a bully and intimidates and instills fear, and it works. It works for him. Being a bully is a very effective strategy in politics, and I see it work frequently.
1: Leo, there are those who would argue that the Democrats in their convention opened the door, left something of a blank slate for Republicans to write on this week, in the sense that, um, the Democratic Convention did focus enormously on character. Uh, Joe Biden, who they believe is a decent, caring human being, as opposed to President Trump, who they uh, I think is indifferent to everyone but himself, um, talking about moral value. I mean, they, they, they did that rather well in the Democratic Convention last week. Policies, uh, p- uh, proposals for how they would govern were left aside for the most part. And one of our uh, uh, listeners sent me an email yesterday that I thought was appropriate at this moment saying, why didn't Democrats talk more about the difference between rioters who did engage in demonstrations in some of the streets of America were different from uh, the uh, uh, peaceful protesters? And yes, we do need police to make sure that cities don't get out of control. So You hear what I'm saying. Did Democrats open the door for some of this?
4: Of course they uh, did. They have. And I think that's one of the great challenges of not just this election cycle from 2016 on has been, how do you get off the rhetoric that is just oppositional and get focused on the solutions that you want? And so the Democrats certainly left that open by not sort of appealing to a moderate republican who is uh, in agreement that protest is a individual liberty that Ronald Reagan would have supported the idea of individual liberty, certainly but uh, you know that's been a challenge for our party as we've gotten into moving a small set as Brian said of the universe that can make a difference in the election and using whatever rhetoric we can do use to move that that universe
1: Mary Margaret
0: I think Brian said that there were 8% of the electric who were the swing. That sounds awfully high to me. And if if there it was 8% of the electric who really is trying to decide who to vote for, then a strategy of, of MSN and negative and we're all doomed by the rioters just doesn't make sense to me. It sounds a little crazy when they talk in those terms. And... Mm-hmm. What is the true percentage of vote, voters who can be influenced by a convention? Um, that's a political – Alan Brown was maybe the person who can answer that question, but 8% sounds way high. If it's 8%, then the audience of 8% was not talked to last night.
1: Brian? Oh, Brian, go ahead and then Alan. I mean, look—it's
3: a gustament as to what it is, and and I disagree with with my friend Mary Margaret on this. I, I do think it's an effective message. The Republicans have been bleeding in the suburbs in places like where where I live in the 6th congressional district, and those are people who used to be Republicans who have abandoned the party during the Trump years, but they are horrified by. The violence that they are seeing around the country. What we saw yesterday in Wisconsin with uh, businesses being burned and uh, police doing nothing about it. And in fact, they are seeing in their media and from public officials, Democratic officials in these cities, just excuses for the people who were rioting and looting. And nothing that you see in the media really. Shows you what's really happening in these cities. Uh, They just—they're called—they keep being called peaceful protests as we're watching cars burn, and people know what they're seeing. No matter what prism the media tries to feed them this stuff, they know what they are seeing, and they are scared. They are scared about their neighborhood. They are horrified by the idea of defunding the police. They think it is absolute lunacy. And and the you know Mary Martin keeps mentioning MS-13. Look, that is a serious matter importing criminal violent gangs into the country because we don't take our border very seriously it has made a huge impact in many communities around this country it's not made up it is not so alan
1: as a so so alan as a member of the media i I do have to say i cannot recall anyone certainly at george public broadcasting uh but in any media reports i've watched who has tried to portray video, which people get to see because the news puts it on the air, of rioting in the streets, as if we have said, oh, but those are really peaceful protests. I think what we've said repeatedly is that there are elements that are turning peaceful protests violent. But, But go ahead and make your point, Alan.
2: Well, I would make a couple of points. Number one, one thing that we know in general is that these conventions are less and less important. Um, that if you go back um, 20 or 30 years, uh, we would often see that in the aftermath of a convention, that the uh, candidate emerging from the convention, if it was a successful convention, would often get a substantial bounce in the polls. Um, and it would not last necessarily, um, or they wouldn't necessarily keep all of that bounce, but it could nevertheless have a significant effect. Over time, what we've seen is that convention bounce has gotten smaller and smaller, uh, and that's a result of partisan polarization. I would agree with Mary Margaret. I think eight percent is probably a, on the very, very high end uh, of anyone's estimate of the percentage of voters at this stage who are, you know, uh, who are up for grabs. I, I would also say that in response to Brian, that you know he mentions that we've been seeing a lot of these voters uh, in uh, in the suburbs moving away from the Republican Party and towards the Democrats during Trump's years in office, uh, there's a reason for that. And the reason is that they really don't like what they're seeing and the way Donald Trump is conducting himself and governing the country. And many of them are actually quite sympathetic to the goals of the protesters, not to the violence, but to the goals of the protesters in addressing problems like uh, you know, the problems of racism and police brutality. So, you know, I, I, I think that um, the messaging to me, again, just seems like it's going to primarily reinforce, uh, you know, the, the views of Trump supporters. Who are the ones watching, by the way? Um, you know, by and large, Democrats watch the Democratic Convention. Republicans watch the Republican Convention. So you have to hope that there's some media coverage outside of that that's going to get you through to a larger segment of the electorate or you're going to use advertising because they're not watching. The, all right, let me yeah, – The are I apologize. Either, let, other
1: me, let me get to a break. By the way, Alan, I owe you an apology. When I talked about the, a study that you worked on, I was thinking there's a study by another couple of uh, professors. The study that you did that I think lie. is worth commenting on at some <laughs> negative partisanship why americans dislike parties but behave like rabid partisans that's apropos of this conversation and i apologize Mm -hmm. that i gave you credit for a study done by a couple of other professors all right Mm -hmm. let's do this let's get our first break of the show out of the way and when we come back i'd love to talk about the appearances of two uh people with strong georgia ties vernon jones and herschel walker this is political rewind Leo Smith, um, we um, let me introduce everybody first. Leo Smith, former outreach director of the Georgia Republican Party. Mary Margaret Oliver, Democrat uh, from Decatur. Alan Abramowitz, political science professor at Emory University. And Brian Robinson, Republican strategist and longtime panelist on Political Rewind. Um, All right, Leo. So um, Michael Goodwin, a columnist for The New York Post, wrote this in his column this morning. Black power has arrived. For the first time in modern memory, both of America's major political parties are making an all-out push for the votes of African Americans, good for them and good for the country. Um, And he says the hunt for black votes is a given with Democrats, but the first night of the Republican convention showed that the two teams are chasing the same uh, prize. And here's what he said specifically, and then I want to get everybody to weigh on this, about Vernon Jones. He said... Vernon Jones, a lifelong Democrat in the Georgia General Assembly, showed a wicked sense of humor, saying that when Trump sought to earn the black vote, the Democratic Party leaders went crazy. Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer literally started wearing kente cloth scarves around the Capitol. And Jones, in a riff about Democrats' attacks on police, said this, isn't it ironic that the Democratic politicians never leave home without security to protect them at all times? Why don't they forego their security? and replace them with social workers since that's what they want for us. And then let's listen to just a little more of Vernon Jones last night. My name is Vernon Jones, and I'm a state representative from the great state of Georgia. As you can see, I'm a man of color, and I'm a lifelong Democrat, too. You may be wondering, why is a lifelong Democrat speaking at the Republican National Convention? And that's a fair question. And here's your answer. The Democratic Party does not want black people to leave their mental plantation. We've been forced to be there for decades and generations. But I have news for Joe Biden. We are free, we are free people with free minds and I'm part of a large and growing segment of the black community who are independent thinkers and we believe that Donald Trump is the president that America needs to lead us forward. Leo, is there really a large and growing segment of African-Americans that are turning to the Republican Party?
4: Not anymore, because the Republican Party is no longer doing minority voter engagement to galvanize the general population of the black community, Latino community, the Asian community. That work is about the average American. And when you have people like Candace on Vernon and his rhetoric now, Vernon's a friend of mine, but the rhetoric he's using is to appeal to the base. When you look at the rhetoric that they use, the stuff about captive black Americans leaving the plantation, that kind of stuff, what they're doing is appealing to a rabid base that likes that for entertainment value. The Vernon internet- does not recruit people to the party.
3: Brian? Well, I think that- – I agree with Leo to some degree. I, you know, obviously, with black women, Republicans just have never been able to make up, make up any ground. Uh, they are the, the heart of the Democratic Party base, and black women are the large part of why Joe Biden is a Democratic nominee. I mean, they chose him, and and as a result, it only made sense that a, a black woman would be his vice presidential candidate. And. I think where you have a better hope for Republicans is with black men. You know, Donald Trump got double digits with black men in 2016. Uh, Nathan Deal got double digits with black men, as did, I would, I would guess, um, Brian Kemp as well, even though he was running against a black woman. Again, not making headway with black women, but with black men, there is a, a way forward there. And I I thought that the appeals from Vernon, who we all know, and and Purcell Walker, another great Georgian, were very powerful. They were about pursuing the American dream and making sure that everyone has a ladder up if they work hard and play by the rules. And that is a message that should cut across racial lines if we keep at it. And look, having these guys isn't just about getting black voters in this election. It's about sending the message in the long run that – There's a place on this stage for you. There's a place here for people who look like you. And I think that's an important message, even if it's not a short-term political calculus.
2: Um, I I would say that the uh, black speakers last night were primarily appealing to white voters and trying to provide reassurance to white voters that it's okay to vote for Donald Trump. And you you can vote for Donald Trump and not be a racist. Uh, I really think that's what that was mostly about. Um, the fact of the matter is that Donald Trump is extraordinarily unpopular among African-Americans. He has an approval rating in the single digits. Um, he's not likely to hit anywhere close to 10 percent of the vote. He will do slightly better among African-American men than women, but his support among African-American men is very weak as well. So. Um, You know, the African-American vote is going to go overwhelmingly to to Joe Biden in this election. It's not necessarily because they're that enthusiastic about Joe Biden. It's more because they really, really dislike Donald Trump and everything he stands for. So uh, I just don't see any any hope of the Republican Party really increasing its support among African-American voters until it starts nominating, you know, frankly, more centrist candidates to will support policies that are really aimed at, at uh, appealing to the large majority of African American voters. And they're not, they're not doing that right now.
0: I've known Vernon, obviously a long time and Vernon and Herschel represented very different things to me, just as the advice from John Lewis was to find good trouble, uh, Vernon Jones represents bad trouble. There's always a need in politics to avoid people who are just 100% in the wrong club and 100% in the trouble club. Um, Vernon Jones was losing his House seat based on uh, false statements in relation to residencies, and he grabbed uh, 15 minutes of attention last night. Uh, He's not a positive image for white voters in the suburbs. He's not a positive image for Georgia Republicans. And to the extent he uh, delivered well uh, a speech attacking Democrats last night, it's hard to understand who that who that re- who was really convinced by attacking um, Democrats as running a plantation. It's hard for me to conceive. Herschel is more of a story about. Uh, individual success based on the most amazing athletic talent that any of us Georgians (laughs) ever experienced. Uh, He's a fascinating uh, story of success, and I applaud his success. Vernon Jones is not a successful politician, is not respected in Georgia, and as Scott Holcomb said, he's a washed-up
1: state Mm representative HERSCHEL WALKER LAST NIGHT EMPHASIZED HIS PERSONAL RELATIONSHIP WITH DONALD TRUMP AND THE DONALD TRUMP WHO HE SAYS HE'S GROWN TO KNOW OVER THE YEARS, IN SOME WAYS KIND OF LIKE WHAT DEMOCRATS LAST WEEK DID IN TERMS OF KNOWING THE REAL JOE BIDEN, THE PERSONAL JOE BIDEN. HERE'S A LITTLE BIT OF WHAT HERSCHEL WALKER SAID.
6: ONE TIME, I PLANNED TO TAKE HIS KIDS TO DISNEY WORLD WITH MY FAMILY. AT THE LAST MINUTE, DONALD SAID HE'D LIKE TO JOIN US. SO THERE HE WAS, IN A BUSINESS SUIT on it's a small world ride. That was something to see. It hurt my soul to hear the terrible names that people call Donald. The worst one is racist. I take it as a personal insult that people would think I've had a 37 year friendship with a racist. Growing up in the deep South, I've seen racism up close. I know what it is and it isn't Donald Trump. Just because someone loves and respects the flag, our national anthem and our country, doesn't mean they don't care about social justice. I care about all of those things. So does Donald Trump. He shows how much he cares about social justice in the black community through his actions. And his action speaks louder than stickers or slogans on a jersey.
1: OK, so Alan Abramowitz makes a fascinating point that, that people like this, like Vernon and, and Herschel, were there to help White voters feel a little bit more comfortable about voting for Donald Trump. If that's the case, the dissonance, and Leo, I'll come to you first on this, but I want to play the sound first. This odd dissonance last night took place when the convention also featured Mark and Patricia McCloskey, who were the St. Louis couple who brandished he a a semi-automatic weapon, she a pistol, pointing it at Black Lives Matter demonstrators who were coming through their, i give you, gated community, but marching peacefully, Um, they were charged with a felony for having done this. President Trump, that's a very controversial charge, I'll, I'll say that. But President Trump immediately came to their rescue talking about they have a right to protect their property. And here's just a little of what they said last night.
0: What you saw happen to us could just as easily happen to any of you who are watching from quiet neighborhoods
6: around our country. Whether it's the defunding of police, ending cash bail so criminals can be released back out on the streets the same day to riot again, or encouraging anarchy and chaos on our streets, it seems as if the Democrats no longer view the government's job as protecting honest citizens from criminals but rather protecting criminals from honest citizens. Not a single person in the out-of-control mob you saw at our house was charged with a crime. But you know who was? We were. These radicals are not content with marching in the streets. They want to walk the halls of Congress. They want to take over. They want power. This is Joe Biden's party. These are the people who will be in charge of your future and the future of your children.
0: They're not satisfied with spreading the chaos and violence into our communities. They want to abolish the suburbs altogether by ending single-family home zoning. This forestry zoning would bring crime, lawlessness, and low-quality apartments into now-thriving suburban neighborhoods. President Trump smartly ended this government overreach.
1: So, Leo, I played a lot of that, obviously, but I thought it was important to listeners who didn't hear them last night hear what they had to say. So which is it, Leo? Is this a party that reaches out and embraces African-Americans and wants to lift them up? Or is this a party which has two people whose dog whistle is the loudest you could ever possibly imagine suggesting that uh, Joe Biden would end the suburbs and allow black people to move in and destroy the neighborhood? It's just a very strange dissonance.
4: Um, This entire idea of electioneering through movement of people's hearts and their fears is is a strange dissonant. And, you know, I I can't say with integrity—I mean, I have to have some integrity and say that what we saw last night um, with that particular thing is all about invoking fear. At the same time, I'd like to do a little exercise and imagine those people— in Charlottesville, but instead of being Caucasian, they are black and they're holding an AK-47, they're holding a weapon, and the KKK is marching in front of the house and they're black people. I would defend their right to hold that gun and say, you will not do this anymore to us. So I think people can, can, can empathize with the idea of protecting your property, I don't like what electioneering has become in our party. I don't like it. I want to get back to policy and platform and creating opportunity. And free market. I want to get to Tim Scott. You know, I want to do that. But this is what politics has become today. You know, I mean, Marjorie Greene is going to be in
2: Congress.
1: Mm-hmm. Alan, uh, and then
2: Brian. Yeah. So, first of all, the uh they were not charged because they were sitting on their porch with guns. They could have done that. Uh, they were charged because they actually approached the street and uh, brandished their guns uh, at the marches. And, by the way, we're not behaving violently. Um, so they describe them as a violent mob, but that is really not an accurate description. Um, this was a protest demonstration in March that was moving toward the home of the mayor of St. Louis to, uh, to engage in, peace, in peaceful protest you know, loud, noisy, yes, but peaceful. And so uh, I think that that's the concern there. And some of the language that they use in that particular segment, I think, was just very clearly aimed at appealing to white racial fears. Um, When, you know, when you see that that sort of language, and talk about abolishing the suburbs, when you talk, and and particularly on this issue of uh, uh, allowing, you know, the building, uh, uh, challenging some of the zoning restrictions, this is this is a big deal because, you know, we have a highly, highly segregated housing system in our country. Uh, and, uh, you know, if we're going to, if we're serious about reducing segregation in housing, which in turn is very closely tied to segregation in education, um, then you have to do something about providing low to moderate income housing in the suburbs.
1: So so, Brian, it does strike me. At least one night into the convention, you made the point about the small number of undecided voters who are out there and and that, you know, whatever that number is, uh, it's a low percentage, as you point out. Um, So I suppose we do have to say that while some would find what they heard last night offensive, others watched last week and felt that Democrats are are in fact going to move the country toward socialism – There's no denying that Republicans are offering a choice. They are making it clear what their vision is about America. Some of it, I think, maybe, you know, we can question the integrity of it, the honesty of it. But they are offering a pretty clear choice for those undecided voters out there, Brian. Well, yeah, they certainly are. I mean, it is a
3: choice, just to simplify this a little bit, between private insurance, that allows you to keep your doctor and socialize health insurance. It's a choice between uh, closed, honest borders and open borders. It is a choice between federalization of zoning laws and local control of zoning laws, which is kind of what y'all were talking about there with the McCloskeys. And uh, it is a choice between uh, law and order and looking the other way on riots and looting. I've, and it's, it's a choice between higher taxes and lower taxes. So that's what I'm hearing on this show. And you can disagree with the point of view of the Republican. That's fine. But they are telling you where they stand. They're telling you where the Democrats stand and pointing out that it's different. And it, it's an important choice for the future of this country. And, you know, I disagree with you. I do think these are powerful messages for those, those suburban voters who have abandoned Republicans in recent
0: years. Uh, suggesting that, Protesters are looters and violence is such a false narrative, particularly. Let's go back to what um, President Trump calls the suburban housewife. Um, mm-hmm. The college students of the, what he calls the suburban housewife um, are participating in protests. They are a very huge, uh, huge crowds of protests, whether it was the 60,000 women march right after. President Trump was elected in January 2017 or whether it was students coming to the street or the modern black and white protesters who are responding to an incredibly negative and horrific uh, performance by President Trump. Those are the children of suburban families, and those are the children who are in our universities and in our colleges and serving a Starbucks uh, and working their way up into being citizens. It's fascinating to me that somehow you can strategize that dividing those peaceful protesters, whether women my age coming out with the women's or moms demand action or whether it's college students uh, engaging in civic life, is just such a terrible idea if you want to attract people back to a Republican party.
3: Can I, can I just well, yeah. say real quick that, that I'm not calling I'm not calling peaceful protesters rioters and looters? I'm yes, calling you are. Rioters, yes, you No, are. I'm calling rioters mm-hmm. and looters rioters rioters and looters. I celebrate the peaceful protest. I salute them. No, I, no. exercise mm-hmm. your first amendment right. I love it. That's not what the
4: Republican
0: Party no. said last night.
3: No,
4: I think I think that indeed that we have to just acknowledge, and it's, it's really difficult, but we have to acknowledge that those kinds of things, those images of how we deal with protests and how we represent that visually, what we show, is really about electioneering and, and manipulating the fears. And that's done by both sides at times. You know, and I think it's really important that we acknowledge that. And then I, so I don't pay much attention to that sort of thing. I think that we need to, to get to the larger issues of what's important to us as far as a base, a platform that engages people and, and really gets them to understand the substance of what changes in America.
1: All right. Um, let's do this. Let's get our final break of the show out of the way and come back with more on today's Political Rewind. Uh, Alan Abramowitz, I suggested before the break that the what we th- one thing we we can say is that Republicans and Democrats are giving voters a very stark choice as they uh, look at voting in the fall. And this is where I want to talk just for a mi- couple minutes, if we could, about your uh, paper, "Negative Partisanship: Why Americans Dislike Parties but Behave Like Rabid Partisans." Now, I I think one of the things you're suggesting here is that. Especially in the 2018 election cycle, what and, and you one of the things we know is that presidential politics tends to increasingly dominate how people vote in local, in state, and local elections. All right, 2018 because the economy is good, uh, other factors were operating uh, uh, for the benefit of the president of the United States. It the, the election didn't come down to the typical barometers that determine how people vote it had more to do with rabid partisanship do i have that right and is that what you see is going to operate in 2020
2: well we're certainly seeing a lot of evidence that uh party loyalties are very strong and they were in 2018 and they will be again in 2020 um i would say however that um of course it's normal for the president's party to suffer losses in midterm elections that's that's um uh, happens in the vast majority of midterm elections, especially in the House elections. Uh, in 2018, the Republicans suffered especially large losses in the House elections, and uh, that had to do as well with the fact that President Trump was unpopular. So, the president's popularity, the president's approval rating, is a pretty good predictor of just how large the losses are likely to be in in the midterm elections. The Republicans were just lucky that. Um, The Senate seats that happened to be up in 2018 were very disproportionately held by Democrats, so there were were very, very few pickup opportunities for Democrats in that election. I think in 2020, we're going to see a very close tie between the presidential results and what happens in the down-ballot elections, including the Senate and House elections. So, uh, you know, depending on who wins the presidential election in Georgia and in other states, I think you're going to see the outcomes of these Senate races and the outcomes of many of the House at least in the swing districts where there's any doubt about the outcome, uh, will be closely tied to that because voters are voting a straight party ticket. There is much, much less ticket splitting. In fact, very little ticket splitting going on these days. If you go back 30 or 40 years, there was a lot of ticket splitting, uh, and uh, it was not unusual for incumbents to win even when the president, uh, when voters chose the president from the opposing party. That rarely happens these days.
1: So um, I get that, and thank you for explaining it. And, you know, one of the things you really make me aware of is I'm why well, I'm a host of the show and not trying to pretend I'm a political scientist, but thank you for that. Um, Mary Margaret, I, I do wonder, in this election here in Georgia, uh, although Alan points out, you know, that people are going to vote uh, down ticket based on how they vote for president, you've also got this strange anomaly. Leo's already mentioned it. Of a Marjorie Taylor Greene on the ballot, um, a full-blown QAnon supporter, and I wonder what impact she, that might have in the other, in terms of other uh, state and local races. The president has already uh, said he he thinks she's great, that she's a rising star. Uh,
0: another very big problem of the Republican brand for Georgia voters. Very big problem uh, when Republicans elect people who are just way so far off the mainstream to be extremists living off the grid um kind of mentalities uh it's bad for the brand i gotta go back to the protesters because brian's got me upset about the protester issue Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. (laughs) i have been as a lawyer representing protester groups more than once in my life the fact that the prediction that uh Vice President Biden and Kamala Harris have the better chance of winning this election is about the protesters. It's about those women my age, or in my generation younger, coming to the streets for the first time in their life. And it's about college students coming to the streets for their new life in politics. That's the reason that the Democrats have a better chance. And the branding that the Republicans have done with Marjorie Greene, and with the McCloskeys and with other fairly distressing-looking personalities is uh, hurt their brand Marjorie Green being Exhibit A.
1: All right, Brian. (laughs) Well, look,
3: I was very clear on Political Rewind in the past about Marjorie Taylor Greene, right? I mean, I have said my piece about it, that uh, she represents a strand that is bad for the brand, and that is a problem that the party is going to have to face down at some juncture. I do think that Democrats are going to use those sort of statements against more sensible Republicans and make them answer for those, those crazy statements. But here's the flip side of it is the media loves to tell the story about the Republican fringe. The Democrat fringe gets much more of a pass. You know the Republican fringe is portrayed as the you're the new mainstream of the party, and it's not. Whereas uh, the Democrat fringe is it, always portrayed as well, they're a Democrat fringe. They're not the mainstream of the party. So there is a difference. Both sides have folks who are causing problems. Both sides have conspiracy theorists and extremists, and it's just that there there is a difference in how the Republican fringe is portrayed.
1: Alan?
2: No. Nope. Uh, there is another difference uh, as well, though, uh, and that is on, in the Republican Party right now, you have a president who has been promoting and endorsing some of these conspiracy theories and having making very positive statements about some of the people who have been uh, not associated with that movement, including Marjorie Taylor Greene. The president didn't have to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a reason why he's doing it. And so he's pushing he's pushing this movement forward within the Republican Party. And you're not seeing that in the Democratic Party. Uh, And, and, you know, so, by the way, I I think I'm I'm sorry we haven't talked about the pandemic and its effect on the election more. And the way and the way it was covered last night, the way it was treated in that Republican convention last night, you know, I I just think uh, is it's a very important question. I hope we'll get to that. I know it's
1: great. No, no. I I think we we have a couple minutes. Make your point about that because the the it is certainly true that last night the Republicans uh, basically kind of trumpeted uh, or or repeated what Trump talks about a lot, which is oh, it's just kind of disappearing. Yeah, I
2: mean, I, I think the pandemic, you know, is the central issue in this election. And it's the thing voters are most concerned about. We've lost almost 180,000 American lives, uh, and that's a minimum estimate. And we're going to be surpassing 200,000, you know, before very long. Our performance on this has been horrible. It's been far worse than that of any other advanced country on Earth. We have far more cases and far more deaths per capita. We've handled it very, very poorly. I'm sorry, but that's on the president. Uh, You you, you know, and for him to stand there and say, I take no responsibility, as he has, is absurd. And um, I think that's the biggest problem the Republican Party has this year is, you know, how do we deal with that? And last night, trying to gloss over that and pretend that the president has handled this well, is just, I think not, I don't think that's going to sell with the American public, with the polls, certainly to tell us that.
1: I'm really running out of time, uh, Brian. You and both you and Leo, just you would agree, the pandemic is going to be probably possibly the most important issue of the election. Brian, just a kind of a yes or no with a couple of words after that.
3: Uh, yes, it matters. It's in the top three issues. Oh, I think okay. the economy is also
1: probably number one. All right, Leo, real quick. Yes.
4: Yes, and people are growing tired of it, and the economy is number one.
1: All right. I'm sorry we're completely out of time. Mary Margaret Oliver, Leo Smith, uh, uh, Brian Robinson, Alan Abramowitz. Thank you so much for a really a good conversation today. We're back again uh, with another Political Rewind tomorrow. I'm Bill Niget. Until I see you tomorrow, take care and please stay healthy. Bye, everybody.